0: Go ahead. Me started, sir. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> very good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it's indeed my proud privilege to welcome each one of you. Uh, let me take uh, this opportunity to wish you once again, you all had a great pongal uh, Today, uh, Kanum pongal, Mattu pongal, great celebration time. Instead of all that you have joined us to listen to one of the most important topics which has uh, been talked about uh, so often. And uh, once again, warm welcome to each one of you for the Ponce Veteran Leaders Speak series, being organized by MMA in association with Ponce Veterans. Topic for this evening, uh, again, very interesting, uh, out-of-box, uh, customer-centricity across product, service, and digital. We have some outstanding uh, speaker and the uh, special invitees. Uh, Mr. barlaman will briefly introduce the speaker, thereafter the speaker will speak about the these co-speakers. Let me have the proud privilege of uh, introducing Mr. Balraman, uh, who is uh, the anchor, who is the brain behind the entire concept. And especially when you choose the uh, customer centricity across product and services, one thing that kept to your mind is that it is not to be approached as a concept, but as a mission. That is what is today's uh, world demand. And Mr. Balraman is MBA from IIM Ahmedabad, former MD of PONS. Uh, and the former export director of Hindustan Lever, and is also chairman of former chairman of CAMS uh, Footwear Design and Development Institute, uh, currently is on the board of uh, Delphi TVS Indian Nippon Electrical Limited, past president of MMA. Now, over to you Mr. Balraman to introduce the distinguished uh, speaker for this evening, and also introduce the concept the subject of the theme being discussed this evening. Over to you, Mr. Balraman. Thank you, Vijay. Good evening, uh, ladies and gentlemen. This is the
1: 27th event in the uh, PONS, Listen to the PONS Veteran Series. And uh, we do have an outstanding veteran uh, of PONS, uh, Vivek Mathur, a man from whom uh, I learned a lot of my marketing along with uh, his uh, colleague uh, Neera Chandra, who I'm sure is uh, part of the audience today. Uh, That uh, topic he has chosen uh, consumer centricity uh, is uh, something that is very intriguing and uh, yeah, ever interesting uh, the thing ab- about consumer centricity is uh, it, it is not consumer as the king it it is not it is not even that consumer is the queen as we in Pons india used to say because uh, our target uh, consumer was uh, always a woman actually consumer is the very purpose of any business uh, it is the, the, the consumer is the reason the business comes into being and consumer is the very reason that the business grows thrives and it, uh, as the economists like to say the prof the profit is a consumer surplus when consumer has had uh, their desire fulfilled and uh, when they reward the s- supplier which is you and me uh, as marketing companies Uh, That is the profit. Uh, Consumer centricity is uh, a a topic that uh, keeps you ever curious, ever on your toes. You you never master consumer centricity. You always attempt to uh, uh, keep the consumer at the center of everything you do. It is uh, providing a positive experience to the consumer right from the time they hear of you, they know of you, to the time they uh, uh, buy, they evaluate you, they buy you, they use you, and they discard you and buy you again. Uh, this this is a very intriguing journey. Uh, people like uh, Vivek Mathur, Ram and Susham Dash, or uh, have to be constantly like uh, Sherlock Holmes, divining what is in the in the consumer's mind. And uh, uh, what will evolve tomorrow? It, it is like, uh, you know, uh, uh, like, like a typical man, if I may say, it is like divining what is in a girl's mind before you quote her and as you propose to her and as you get married to her and as you live with her, all the time working out what, what exactly does the lady mean when she says something and what does she mean when she doesn't say something. So it's a very fascinating journey, consumer centricity. It's uh, something that you never master, but you always, uh, uh, the, the reason you don't master is the, the human being is never satisfied. You know, our, our scriptures, in Hindu scriptures say that, uh, uh, you know, human beings are never satisfied and they pose it as a problem. We in marketing see it as a opportunity challenge. It makes life very interesting, intriguing, worthwhile for us to constantly be divining. So consumer centricity is a constantly evolving subject. And uh, how do you give the consumer a positive experience at all times in the the journey of marketing? And how do you do it in the rapidly changing times? How do you do it in the COVID times? How do you do it in the time of digital media? Uh, And You see, the consumer experience starts being digital. I mean, is being remote and uh, consumer lives in a digital world and likes to live in a digital world and consumer starts getting involved with you. They do not leave you alone. They try and tell you what to do in various ways. In the pre-digital world time, you, you often have to divine it. You know, you have to, uh, market research never told you. You have to look at a consumer's face You have to look at uh, the meaning of words and so on. Today, they actively participate with you in product development and they give you constant feedback. So uh, life is different. In some ways, it has been made easy. In some ways, it has been made more difficult or they communicate with each other and they gang up against you. So it's a fascinating journey. And I'm most happy that we have one of the brightest minds in uh, Marketing, one of the brightest minds in Ponds. Uh, uh, yeah, your favorite uh, uh, colleague of mine, Vivek Mathur, and he will introduce his, uh, uh, his gang of, of Sushant and uh, Ram. Over to you, Vivek.
2: Thank you so much, Mr. Balraman. Uh, thank you also for covering the first 10 slides of my presentation. <laughs> uh, uh, that's a big help uh, I am really happy to be here uh, this is a joint effort that uh, three of us are going to do so I have with me uh, Sushant Dash who is the president for Tata Global Beverages India and Middle East and uh, I have with me uh Ayer, who is uh, from a slightly different field he is the director for E-commerce and digital for uh, Microsoft. Speaking from Seattle, it's four thirty. From Seattle, so it is now four thirty a.m. for him. And uh, thank you, Ram, for uh, getting up so early in the morning and uh, and uh, joining us. But Ram has always been a very sporting guy, and uh, and he did promise. But just to make sure, I sent him a message about fifteen minutes back, uh, lest. Uh, like one of my earlier colleagues, he, cut, he oversleep and we missed the presentation. Uh, so, uh, with that, uh, without uh, further ado, uh, let me start the presentation. As I said, Mr. Balraman has already covered... Uh, The first uh, few slides of mine, uh, which is the real issue is what is customer centricity? And uh, as uh, Mr. Balraman said, it's it's, it's a much used word. It's a really wide space. It's a much used and a much abused word as well. And uh, I guess the first thing which comes up is that uh, for me, it's not a marketing buzzword it is something that uh, i have used all my life to drive uh, profit and growth uh, and uh, which is based on the belief that if you want to get value from the customer you must first create value for the customer the other uh, sort of myth and uh, i was making a presentation on cons- customer centricity to uh, to a team of uh, private equity leaders. And, uh, and one of the questions which kept coming up is that which is more important, uh, customer centricity or focusing on the bottom line? And uh, my belief is that the two are actually inseparable. If you want to focus on the bottom line, then you do need customer at the center or whatever you're doing. Uh, customer centricity is a really vast area. And... Uh, so, there is only so much that uh, we can cover today. Uh, so, what we are going to cover in the context of the way that the consumer is changing, becoming uh, much more digital, the business context is uh, becoming much more uh, is evolving a lot in in this rather turbulent sort of an environment. Uh, what are some of the key things? Uh, that we hold constant and what is it that we need to change. And we are going to focus on just three parts today of customer centricity. The first one, we're going to open with product innovation. The second area that we are going to cover is communication and engagement. How do you do that in today's uh, digital environment? And third, uh, when the customer is engaging with us in they are engaging with us digitally, they are engaging with us on the ground uh, and so on and so forth. How do you, and very often they don't have a chance to see the product before uh, before they actually buy. So how do you sort of minimize friction and make that an omni-channel uh, journey for the customer, which is seamless? So those are broadly the three areas that we're going to focus on. Starting off with the, The first one, which is product-centric innovation. I'm going to first focus on something which is really buzzy these days, uh, which is open source innovation, also called user-led innovation, and now increasingly being called crowdsourcing. So one example... That I recently came upon was that of the NASA solar panel and the problem that the NASA solar panel was facing was that they have an international space station, the international space station is powered by the sun. The space station has solar panels and as the station orbits some panels face the sunlight while others are in shadow. And the goal of the NASA engineers at any given time is to organize the orbit in such a manner that shadowing is minimized and maximum power is generated. In 2013, NASA launched a public contest to solve this problem. They had a prize money, which was initially $30,000. And basically what they want what they said is that they wanted to def- somebody to develop a complex algorithm which would position the solar panels on the uh, iss in a manner that maximum power was generated even in the most difficult orbital conditions i found this really strange because wouldn't one expect nasa to have the best engineers in the world, the hugest budgets in the world. And uh, indeed, when this uh, contest was launched, there was a fair bit of skepticism within NASA engineers as well as to whether this would yield any output at all. The amazing thing is uh, that by the time the contest finished, They had 459 competitors, 2,185 solutions. And the most amazing thing is that half the solutions performed as well or better (laughs) than NASA's own solutions. And the total cost to NASA for this was an unbelievable $80,000. That's not even a blip on the NASA overall budget. And this included the $40,450, which was finally paid out as as an award. And uh, to me, what this brings out is the tremendous power of open innovation. So user innovation is not a new concept. Adam Smith, the economist Adam Smith, in his Wealth of Nations, almost 300 years back, Talked about the role that workers had in redesigning manufacturing processes. He said, as workers get more and more specialized, they understand their job better, they become a key part of redesigning the entire manufacturing process. A guy called Eric von Hippel from MIT has been doing a huge amount of work on user centric uh, innovation and In uh, 2005, he published this book called Democratizing Innovation, where he's saying that user innovation is a very powerful and generally applicable phenomenon. He says it's both a rival to and a feedstock for manufacturer innovation. But even more importantly, while user innovation has been around for a long time, it is accelerating. In the last decade, we have seen huge amount of acceleration in user-based innovation because of the advances in communication technologies, which then means that users can collaborate amongst themselves, uh, users and experts can collaborate among themselves, and so on and so forth. Another uh, interesting observation, and uh, this is from Sunil Gupta, uh, from his book uh, Driving Digital Strategy 2018, He says that most consumers modify products when they use them. They modify products to suit their specific applications. And if as a manufacturer, you have a great understanding of what modifications customers are making and why, then it can give you really great ideas in terms of where to go. So presenting a humble example from my uh, own experience, I call it humble because from outer space, we are coming down to earth to a category, which is very familiar to all of us, which 99% of us consume. To take this story forward, I'll ask uh, Sushant who uh, many, many moons ago, as a young marketing manager, led this innovation. He didn't, have this, he didn't have this beard and whiskers at that time, looked much younger, uh, but Sushant uh, led this innovation. So I'd like to hand over to Sushant to take us through this story.
3: Thank you, Vivek. Uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, and thank you uh, MMA for this opportunity. Uh, as Vivek said, you know, it's actually in some ways setting you up for failure after you've talked about NASA and solar panels and stuff like that. And then we get into T. Uh, but in some ways, it also highlights that consumer centricity is not specific to any segment, any category. And, uh, and user innovation actually cuts across uh, whichever product category that you look at. Uh, before I get into the actual innovation, maybe it is helpful for me to give you a bit of background in terms of uh, th- those days and what the company was going through and why the innovation. So as many of you know, or would know, Tata tea uh, started as a... Tata tea was the name of the company then. Uh, started in the early 80s and it started as a plantation company. Uh, next, uh, Vivek. But the then management quickly realized that... Uh, the real money and in terms of uh, taking the business forward was not so much in the plantation business, but was in the brands and in the package part of the business. So they forward integrated and launched brands in 1985. Uh, There were two sets of brands that the company had at that point of time. One was Tata Tea, which is now called Tata Tea Premium. In those days it was just plain Tata Tea. Uh, And that was so as to say the national brand uh, cutting across Uh, all geographies. And then we had specific brands in the south catering to the regional preferences. So Kanandevan in Kerala, Chakra in Tamil Nadu and AP, and Germany in what is now Telangana. So that was the portfolio of brands that the company launched. And uh, in terms of the launch of the Tadati brand, by itself was actually quite innovative. And in in many ways, is a great story of consumer centricity, but that's another story by itself, and I will uh, keep it for another day. But in terms of developing certain core competencies, what Tata Tea stood for when it launched and what differentiated it was A, first was in terms of the insight. Uh, Tata Tea very early realized that what, one of the most important things the consumer wants is freshness in the tea, and that was something that the consumer was not getting at that point of time. So they set about solving for it, and that is how they created the competencies, so some of the competencies on which the brand grew, and in terms of what the brand stood for, one was plantation so- sourcing, uh, which was a big differentiator from the competition at that point of time, because uh, the Tata Tea brands uh, were from the own gardens, they were grown there and packed there. So the freshness story was amplified. Uh, the second point, which is not a very good thing to talk about now, given the environmental uh, I- issues, but... In many ways, Tata Tea was one of the first brands which got into poly packs And polypacks in those days was seen as a major innovation and was also seen as being a big differentiator to retain freshness as compared to the carton packs or the Cica packs, uh, which most of the FMCG companies had for the products. The third obviously was the Tata brand name, a strong brand. And because of the plantation background, a good understanding of blending piece and the consumer requirements for each of the regions. So these were the core competencies that the brand, that Tadati brand had. And from 85 to let's say the late nineties, this held the company in very good stead and the company grew double digit, both in top line and bottom line and took on competition quite robustly. However, by the late nineties or the, the turn of the century, a lot of this changed. And some of the factors which uh, resulted in this was A, there was a glut in the commodity market. Tea was available and available quite cheap because of uh, the Kenyan teas growing, Sri Lankan teas growing, and hence our export market nearly collapsed. Even within the domestic, because of uh, you know, better crop production facilities and stuff like that, there was much larger production. So A, there was a glut uh, in terms of tea available. Poly was no more a differentiator. Anyone could pack poly, and everyone, in fact, did at the back of their houses. Uh, and it was a low cost. And the strong brands gave way actually to a proliferation of, uh, you know, merely local brands, as we call it. And every city had six, seven of these brands. So basically, strong brands in some ways gave way to high discounts both the trade and the consumer leg and the brand name did not stand for much at that point of time. Uh, So obviously the company was on the defensive. Uh, This was also the time I think that some of us joined the company. Uh, Early 2001 is when I joined. Uh, I think Vivek joined at a similar point of time at that point of time uh, while Vivek has gone and done many other things. I have continued in the company. Uh, but uh, when we joined, I actually remember that was the first year, 2001, that the company actually, uh, in terms of the branded growth, reported a decline. And that was the first time in 16 years that they had not grown double digit and double digit when I say they were growing at the, in the 20s and 30s for nearly 15 years. So it was a huge shock to the system. Uh, obviously, uh, the company went into a defensive. Uh, they launched brands. Uh, which were which they thought would take on the local brands, which was more mass, and Agni was one of the brands that got launched during that time. And this was not a problem that only was faced by Tata Tea. Hual, which was uh, the other competition at a national level, uh, faced the same issues with their brands in terms of Red Label, Taza, and Tajmar. And uh, to counter the challenge of local brands, they launched A1. However, launching uh, this low price mass brands was not helping the company because it was in some ways a me too and the locals were doing a better job. So the only way was that we needed to go on the offensive and to get back about growth grow was to do innovation. So the first thing that one did was actually do incremental innovation, which was to look at the current brand that we had, which was starter team and look at seeing as to how we could bring about changes, small changes, but significant from a consumer point of view in some ways. So some of the things that we did was relook at the packaging, modernize and redesign the pack graphics. We relooked in terms of the consumer promise or the benefit that we made to the consumer move from just a functional benefit, which talked about freshness and move to a uh, both a, emotional and a functional benefit in terms of body and mind refreshment. We put more money in terms of building equity. We got lucky. We actually uh, did. It was a new advertisement that we are looking at and we wanted a tennis player. And we realized that there was this young player who was cheaper than a model and could play better tennis. So we took her. And it so happened that a week after the ad got launched, he reached the quarterfinals and placed Serena Williams in Australian Open. So it gave us a lot of free publicity. But yes, we got Sanya Mirza as a brand ambassador. Uh, so, so that helped. Uh, but this incremental innovation, uh, which in many ways is actually very important, and some many at times is something that we as marketers do not give much credit to or importance. But I think there's something that some, we as marketers need to do regularly every two to three years and ensure. That things don't catch up with us. To become relevant, this is important. Uh, So we did incremental innovation. But incremental innovation has its limitations. It helped us to stabilize the business. It helped us to stop the decline that we were seeing. But to get back to the high growth rates that the company was used to, we needed something which was disruptive. The challenge is, as someone told us in the early days, you know, a black tea is a black tea. How much of innovation can you do in it at a point of time? The second thing that we also realize is tea is a habit. And, you know, it's like a newspaper. You're used to the typeface. So whichever newspaper you tend to read in the morning, you are loath to change it. Uh, So tea is something similar or coffee where, you know, people don't want to break habits. It's a very habit-driven category. And hence, one of the things that we realize is that post the launch of Tata Tea, uh, which was in 85. So for 16, 17 years, there had been no product innovation or major innovation in the T category. And overall, maybe over since the early 30s when the category took off, maybe there were two or three big innovations. So it was not a category which was known for innovation. And hence, that was one of the big challenges in terms of how to do a disruptive innovation. In terms of the idea, and I think uh, Vivek talked about Sunil Gupta's, uh, uh, an excerpt from his book, which talked about, you know, the best way to actually understand the consumer in some ways is to see as to how the consumer is modifying the product. And that can give you a great idea in terms of what you need to do for your next product innovation. I think this was a prime example of that. When When we went to study the consumer and when we were looking in terms of what we could do, we realized that one of the prevalent habits in households, mainly in the North and East, was that consumers were mixing two kinds of tea. One, which is the Assam tea, and the other, which is the Darjeeling, or, or as the consumer calls it, CTC and long leaf. And the reason they did that was, the consumer belief was that the Assam or the CTC tea, as, as for the consumer parlance, gives you uh, the body, the strength, uh, the taste, but the long leaf or the Darjeeling gives you the aroma and the flavor. And hence, a lot of them bought both and mixed it in different ratios of 70, 30, 80, 20, 90, 10 and stuff like that uh, to get a blend in some ways that they thought was uh, best for them. And that is what gave us the idea in terms of of our disruptive innovation uh, to take it forward. So that is where the idea came from. But I think the the beauty in some ways and the use of uh, the consumer. And maybe this was one of the first times that would have been, was that we use the consumer. The way we did it was we actually did it in a couple of centers, but we started off in Delhi and we used a method uh, called a sequential recycling. And what we did was we took various components of Assam, of Darjeeling. We went to the housewives, invited the housewives, which was a relevant target group. We actually set up kitchens for them the way they would, including providing them with exactly the same utensils, the milk, sugar, water, uh, all of which uh, you need to ensure is the same as what they would normally use. And we asked them to make and taste the different teas. And we continued, basis on the modification, let's say we made A blend and they said no this one the strength is lower or this one the flavor is less or this one the color release is low this one I'm not getting the aroma we had our blenders there and then making changes using the components that they were carrying to actually change the blends and give it back to the consumer and actually taking feedback in real time in some ways saying does this now meet your expectation this actually helped us in terms of, in, in many ways, uh, actually. Uh, if we can move to the next slide, uh, Vivek. So one was in terms of getting the final blend and the ratios, because that was important. But more important, I think, were three, four very critical things. A, getting it right the first time in terms of what kind of SM or CTC to use. Because when you add long leaves, in some ways, the strength gets lowered or the color changes in terms of what the consumer gets it when the both are mixed. So when you are doing it real time and with the consumer, we actually understood what exactly was the kind of S.A.M. that we needed to use. Two, we realized that the long leaf uh, is what is important for the long leaf is not just the aroma or or, uh, the flavor that comes through, but the visual clue was equally important. And one of the things that we did because of the user-led innovation was actually not just have long leaves, but have long leaves which were golden or greenish in terms of the variety that we used. So when you opened the pack, you immediately realized that this tea was very different from all teas that you have used in the past. And when you saw and talked about the aroma and the long leaf, people immediately took cue that those different looking leaves actually was because of these long leaves, and that actually helped the product a lot. A lot. So that is what we launched: a premium blend with the strength of Sam CTC and flavor and aroma of Darjeeling orthodox, completely developed by the consumer. I think this was the first launch that the company was doing in fifteen to sixteen years. We did a lot of other smaller things in terms of the packaging, in terms of the pack graphics, uh, the communication. In those days. Uh, again, was very, very, very different. Uh, usually the communication for tea till that part of time was uh, two kinds, depending on which school you belong to, whether it was the HUL school or the Tardati school. Uh, if you were the HUL school, it was a family, it was a housewife making tea and giving everyone in a social setting. If you were the Tarati school of uh, ad making, then it was in the gardens, uh, single girl drinking tea, dancing. Uh, but uh, for the first time we change the category cues and mainly we will we will play the ad
0: game style
3: oh, yeah, yeah.
2: Hey, chai ho <inaudible> <inaudible> Ar- uh, uh, Arch- Ar- try uh, Nai- chai uh, th- gold saath- saath Nai, uh, thanks
1: th- <inaudible> th- <inaudible>
4: So yeah,
3: nice tea Maa. mother as i said uh, we we actually ensured uh, different cues the other thing actually on the communication and i know that the next section we will talk about it but one of the cues that we also caught because we did the innovation through the users and the consumers was you know how to treat aroma many a times and we started off with the premise that uh, the 15% long leaf and aroma is what will attract the consumers but one of the things we realized when we worked with the consumers and when we did the innovation was the fact that aroma is actually just an indicator it is not an end benefit and aroma actually is an indicator of great taste. And if we don't amplify that, then it doesn't work. And that's what we did in the ad. At the end of the day, uh, I think any innovation, as as Vivek mentioned, it's about the bottom line. Uh, and if you do it well, then the bottom line uh, does work. Uh, so the sales, we did 3x of the target. I remember we launched it uh, October 2013. Uh, we were out of tea, I think by Feb, March. Uh, and... Uh, it's actually off-season, so you don't get teased. Uh, so people were scrambling. It was a good problem to have. Uh, we managed to do a pricing, which was 15% premium and managed a gross margin, which was 30% higher. Uh, this brand uh, has grown, grown, gone from strength to strength. Uh, and uh, today is one of the largest brands in our portfolio. Uh, it, it, it's, uh, it's a huge brand, upward of 500 crores. Uh, it also was, I think, Uh, the starting in some ways of creating a larger portfolio of uh, using innovation in some ways uh, uh, as a way to conduct business within the company. Uh, And I think uh, it showed results over a period of time. Uh, And uh, I I think in 2007, we became volume leaders uh, overtaking HUL and in 2011, 2012, uh, we became uh, value leaders in some ways, uh, value leaders in terms of Nielsen. Uh, so yes, I think uh, there's a clear case of as to how uh, innovation helps, how user innovation is a great tool. Uh, I will now hand it over to Vivek uh, to take you through the you. learnings and the lessons. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, Thank you
1: so much. you questions, keep sending them. We will answer them at the end of the presentation.
2: So uh, the key lessons uh, to my mind are that consumers can be your biggest source of ideas. Get a really deep understanding of how consumers use your products, modify your products. The more you involve customers in the development process, the greater the chances of commercial success. As product life cycles are getting shorter and development resources scarce, internal innovation is clearly not going to be enough. User-led innovation, open innovation is increasingly going to be critical to support growth expectations. And I'd like to point out that user-led innovation, crowdsourcing, and so on is not the sole preserve of digital platforms. It has yielded powerful results across a wide range of categories, whether you take clothing, autos, home products, and B2B industries in as wide as oil refining, uh, software, chemicals, and uh I'm sure that for most of the attendees i would uh, I would say that it does apply to your industry. You've got to figure out how do you really leverage this information, how do you leverage crowdsourcing, how do you leverage open innovation? Uh, before I end the section on uh, yeah. uh, innovation. There's just one other thing which I wanted to talk about, which is innovation by rapid experimentation. We we hear a lot about A-B testing and so on and so forth uh, in terms of uh, early stage learning and uh, rapid experimentation. And the benefits of that are clear to everybody. Yet in the manufacturing sector, I'm not seeing too many cases of using things like additive manufacturing, which is 3D printing, for rapid experimentation. I still remember uh, that before uh, some of these uh, technology tools were available, we had a heavy reliance on concept testing. At best, we could consumer check a few options. By the time we got the results for that, we were already more or less committed to the solution. Today, marketers have the opportunity of actually using technology for doing rapid experimentation and uh, and thereby really cutting down both cost and making innovation much more real. So that was it on innovation. Moving on to consumer-centricity in communication and engagement. Uh, this is a topic which is close to many people's hearts. It is much discussed. Mr. Balraman was telling me about Uh, about how the attention span of the customer is reducing. We need to do shorter ads, more frequent ads, and so on and so forth. The reality is that what ads say and what consumers hear is (laughs) quite different. (laughs) And boring traditional advertising largely is getting ignored by customers. Uh, There is a lot of uh, talk about Digital marketing, and now it is measurable. However, the fact is that the click-through rate of ads still remain less than 1%. So the key question which arises is, how can businesses reach out to this skip ad generation? Clearly, brand push is moving to consumer pull. Whether you're looking at media, whether you're looking at any space, The consumer is much more into pulling rather than us pushing. And the consumer is going to pull only what they find involving, exciting, informative.
4: Zoomy zoomy, hopi cha yo yo ma, ma wa
3: ya ya zoomy besta pow.
4: Hopi cha yo yo ma,
3: ma wa ka ya ya
2: Chicken Zuzus the uh, pound, TV two thousand and eight. Daya, uh, to me, to me, to me, to see. to Again and again, Uh, these eggheaded creatures, they became the most loved characters in uh, advertising over the next uh, six, seven years. Uh, Originally, the Zoo Zuzu advertising was designed for the Indian Premier League. We were the co-sponsors of uh, the IPL right from the beginning. Now, the IPL is something which is spread over 50 days. It's got 60 matches. As a co-sponsor, you're buying roughly 300 ads. Now, the total audience uh, this year for IPL was reported at close to 400 million. But I would say there are 150 million viewers who are core viewers and these 150 million core viewers keep coming back match after match after match, right? And therefore, if you keep running the same advertising over and over again, it becomes tedious, extremely boring. Uh, all of us have had that experience and therefore the Zuzu campaign as it was designed was that we would do two new executions every week, so over the period of the IPL, we would do twelve to fourteen executions at the fi- in the finals and the semifinals, we would run all the ads together. but each week we would run two new ads of the zuzus. Zuzus became iconic, they became viral. We were able to leverage them across all channels. We had 20, 20 million followers on Facebook. This is a record of sorts. Uh, we were able to use them on ground, uh, whether it was for launch conferences, whether it was for the Vodafone Superfan, whether it was at, in the uh, Badminton League for which we were sponsors. Uh, This was there. Zuzu ads were there on YouTube. One of the interesting things is that if you go on to YouTube, you will find more uploads by users than you will find from the company. And many of those uploads are actually, some of them are even modifications of the Zuzu ad. I still remember my son uh, when he was studying at uh, uh, Bilabong. Uh, one of the things in the beginning that they needed to announce was that people needed to switch off their mobile phones. And these two characters dressed up as Zuzus wearing those uh, big uh, eggshells. My wife did a lot of effort in that, but it got such a huge clap when these two characters came on and said, switch off your mobile phones. So Zuzus was something that became ironic, It became Viral, And the fact of the matter is that while we were the co-sponsor spending roughly around uh, 45 to 50 crores a year, we got much higher association with IPL. We got much higher virality than the lead sponsor, which in many years was Pepsi, uh, with a spend of over 100 crores. So this is a multiplier that we got. Zuzu's, for example... Hindu Business Line uh, reported that Zuzus stole the thunder. This IPL. Zuzus became a comic strip. Zuzus were across social media, they became part of the conversation. And therefore, one of the things, one of my first contentions is that if you want to break through the clutter, if you want to break through into the to the skip ad generation you need to do advertising uh, which really breaks through a couple of other viral campaigns the one is from derma blend which is l'oreal's derma blend this is one ad which was loaded on youtube right with just the cost of making the ad it has got 25 million views on YouTube. Blendtec is another company uh, which ran a really wacky campaign which basically involved whether their blender could actually blend crazy things like furniture, phones, and so on and so forth. For Blendtec, which is a wacky brand, this is the CEO of Blendtec, by the way, who's uh, doing this demo, Uh, it's easier to understand that. Uh, The fact is, to go viral you have to do something unusual you have to go out on a limb you have to take a risk and for a i what really surprises me is that for a conservative brand like loreal in a category which is steeped in classical advertising i'm really impressed at the, by this leap of faith sometimes the risk is in the mind of the marketer because the reality is that if the ad doesn't take off and doesn't become viral, then in any case, it has no negative impact. So to that extent, sometimes we overrate the uh, risk. Product demos, Home Depot has collected over 4 million views on how-to videos. Uh, This is providing useful information. That's another way of cutting through to this generation. Creating communities and advocacy. Uh, This is a chalk paint brand by Annie Sloan. Uh, This is about furniture distressing. So this is my personal example. I needed to put this in. I have, there are much bigger examples like house.com and so on and so forth. But this is one small manufacturer of paint who's created a huge community uh, around furniture distressing and gets multipliers, which is people working with her paints then coming out on Pinterest and so on, doing their own postings. What happens if uh, you have a slightly uh, boring product like uh, soap? It's very difficult to get people to come and, uh, you know, form a community around soap. So sometimes what you can do is what Dove has done here, which is they have this real beauty campaign which goes beyond product and category and actually started a conversation on how women in society view beauty. It seems relative. It seems that anybody can do this, but that's not really true. The caveat is that it has to be real. It has to be consistent and it has to be true to your brand if you want to create a community And and it takes a huge amount of time. Today, we can look back at Dove's success and say that, look, this is how they do it. Uh, there are ample examples of other people who've tried it and failed. Pepsi, for example, had a refresh project in 2010 where the whole idea was uh, that they put up $20 million for people who would submit ideas for social good. A lot of the ideas for social good which came in had nothing to do with Pepsi. Some which were about reducing obesity and so on, were actually in conflict with the product that Pepsi was selling. So finally that venture came to nothing. So uh, it is very critical here that you be consistent with your brand. If you want to do this, you be real. And then you work at it over a period of time. Moments-based marketing is another big thing which is coming up uh, and a big so, this is an example of Red Roof Inn. So, what uh, Red Roof Inn basically does is uh, a lot of their hotels are next to airports. So, what they do is they track flight cancellations. And whenever a flight gets cancelled, the first instinct of the customer I mean, first the customer gets very irritated, this, that. There's a little scuffle which breaks out. And then The customer says, shit, what am I going to do for the night? And that's when they get the message from from Red Roof Inn. They're using geo-targeting plus the information that they are picking up on flight cancellations plus consumer insights. And they've actually been able to drive up traffic by 70%. So this is moment-based marketing. It can be done through geo-targeting. It can also be done through digital tracking of people's searches and so on and so forth. But the whole idea is, uh, for example, uh, there is data which suggests that if somebody wants to buy a car, uh, they are most active in their search three months prior to the purchase. So the whole idea is that can you target the customer at the moment that it is most relevant? In a sense, with digital, sometimes you get the feeling that advertising is collapsing into its own most basic, right? The reality is that on mobile phones, which is how majority of Indians are interacting with uh, the internet, 92% time is spent on apps. What are the options to advertise on apps? The first is banner ads. Now, banner ads take us right back 50 years in terms of the nature of the communication. Furthermore, what happens? If you're playing Candy Crush, in my case, uh, Scrabble, uh, and you're playing Scrabble, suddenly an ad will come up for a motorcycle. And over a period of time, because your involvement is with uh, with whatever you're playing rather than with the ad, my thumb actually had muscle memory and it would jump to the left and click that ad off. Then these guys became smart and they started switching the button around from (laughs) left to right. So sometimes my thumb is going to the left and it switches on the ad, you know, because the switch off button, close button is on the right. Now, finally, what I did was I upgraded to the premium version of Scrabble. This is really good as a freemium strategy for Mattel, right? Because they got an upgrade. But what did it do for all the uh, advertisers, right? Who were really the irritants, which drove me to upgrade. And uh, so even if somebody saw their ad, it was with irritation rather than anything else. In terms of pre-roll ads, uh, 90% people actually... uh, shut the ad. And amongst the balance who watch it, uh, they watch it with low level of interest. And hence, what one is really saying is that if you want to move away from becoming just an irritating interruption, which is what a lot of advertising is, you you need to move into storytelling, which is through things like uh, product demos, providing useful information, through viral advertising that we spoke about, Zuzu's, zombies, and so on and so forth. And then if you can move into actual story making, which is as Dove has done by broadening their message, creating communities as Annie Sloan has done or house.com and move into contextual marketing, which is moments-based marketing where you're actually targeting people at the moment when they are looking for that information. Uh, is what will uh, move this whole thing forward. And those would be my recommendations for communicating in the digital age. The next thing uh, we would like to talk about is another uh, thing which is very central to a lot of discussions these days, which is that the customer... In his buying journey is jumping across from channel to channel across digital channels, also interacting with physical channels and so on and so forth. So how do we reimagine our marketing for this omni-channel experience? How do we make it seamless or if not seamless, how do we minimize friction? And I'd like to hand over to Ram to take us through that. Ram, over to you.
4: Uh, Thank you, Vivek.
2: I think that it will stop share. Yeah.
4: And hopefully you can see my screen. Yes,
0: Mr. Ram. Yes.
4: Awesome. Thank you. So first of all, very, very grateful. It's a dark, foggy morning here in Seattle and uh, you know, uh, it's uh, when your favorite boss calls you up and says that you have to speak uh, you know, your heart immediately says yes. So uh, thank you for uh, you know uh, giving me the opportunity to share. I know you share a special bond with Mr. Balaram, and I share a special bond with you as well. Uh, and you know, we have very fond memories of the time we spent in Vodafone, So it's a pleasure to be here today and share some thoughts in terms of reimagining uh, the omni-channel experience for uh, our customers. And I think Mr. Burdanaman set a very good context with the Sherlock Holmes metaphor, You know, how do we all become uh, the jasus or the detectives uh, to get into the minds of the consumer. And what I will try and do is an humble attempt uh, to be that detective as we envision the future of how things will uh, play around as we look at, uh, as we fold into the future. And we are in a very, very interesting moment in time Uh, And so I think it it is more contextual as well from that perspective. So to tell the story, I'm going to look at three parts. First, I want to kind of frame the opportunity. It all starts by having an ambition and having sights on what's the opportunity that's available for all of us. Uh, Then we'll delve deeper into the customer journey. Uh, We've kind of looked at how innovation helps in product creation. We have looked at innovation, creating demand. Uh, we'll now look at innovation in the channel, in the last mile, in terms of fulfillment, and how we can bring that to life. And a few thoughts as we fold into the future. So, as we would have uh, all gone through this experience, and I think uh, we will all acknowledge that sometimes it takes a crisis uh, to change mindsets. And in many ways, you know, COVID nineteen has been a perfect storm of sorts uh, for us to really embrace uh, digital. I have been in many meetings where we've had this conversation with uh, partners saying that, hey, you need to accelerate your transformation. But the last nine months, I never had to say anything to any of my partners. They all were asking me, in fact, Ram, what do we really do to get our digital transformation accelerated? So it really kind of changed things for us. uh, And in that sense, it's been A catalyst uh, for change. And Satya put this beautifully uh, during our quarter two results. Uh, He was kind of saying that we've seen in two uh, months, two years worth of digital transformation. I dare I say, as I sit now, uh, seven months into the pandemic, uh, we have accelerated almost 10 years in terms of e commerce growth. When we look at some of our numbers, there has been such a rapid uh, acceleration that's really happened, and one of the reasons that this has happened is because we are today you know in some ways living in a physically distance world where I'm speaking to you uh, all the way from Seattle, but we are all digitally connected and if you really look at uh, the customer behavior what's happening, we're living in a world where we search for everything, we are living in a world where we are streaming and looking at shows, and we are also living in a world which is always connected on social you know when you look at those zuzu numbers. And the kind of virality that we create. Uh, this is the new normal and the new world that we all are uh, living in. And it's important for us to also understand and get into the mind of the shopper as to what's really changing and how are these new habits being formed. Uh, and this is really important because oftentimes you get asked the question, you know, what is likely to change in the future It's very difficult to create strategy on things that will change. But I think the most important thing for all of us to acknowledge is if you know where it is headed, then you can actually create a strategy which evolves along with the future. So as you see here, I think one thing is for sure. We are going to be in an era where there is going to be far more shopping that's going to happen online as opposed to buying in-store and in online as well i think mobile is going to be the center of gravity uh, for all the action because it's where you know it's becoming so easy uh, for consumers to buy and to discover products and with uh, advances that are happening especially on social commerce where these social commerce uh, players are becoming instant storefronts where you can actually buy stuff straight from your post you don't even have to get out of the post and that's the power at which they are shortening the entire purchase path. And that's making a big difference in terms of how shopping behavior is changing and over evolving over a period of time. So mobile first is something which we all need to embrace and that's where the future is gonna be. Now, from an India perspective, when you look at it, it's very, very interesting. You know, We will have over hundred million digital buyers uh, just in the next four years. So it's a huge, huge opportunity And it's an imperative, you know, you can choose to say that, you know, you don't want to get uh, into this opportunity, but quite honestly, we really don't have a choice in India. We have to kind of make sure that we embrace this opportunity and uh, take full advantage of what is in front of us. In that sense, uh, necessity is the mother of invention or innovation. So we really have to kind of make sure that given that opportunity, we all need to innovate. And we've looked at this in the past. You know, the old customer models have always been about mass production and mass communication, and the new models are completely changing. Today, if you really ask me what is the channel, uh, I would say the consumer is the channel because the consumer is at the center of everything, and we are living in a journey uh, which is always connected. You know, the consumer is. Journey is not linear. It is not, uh, you know, you just go to a store, buy one thing and come back. It's an always on connected journey. And we are moving constantly between online and uh, offline in many ways. And the digital journey is interrupting and is creating moments within that physical journey as well. Uh, and these connections are really creating a network effect. And so it's interesting to see in the context of this uh, journey, how do we really bring the concept of customer centricity? For that, you really need to put the customer at the center of everything that you do. And while in terms of e-commerce, I think the e-commerce players have done a great job in terms of price. You know, there is the market uh, seller model where you are almost doing a discovery of price, and you know, players can come on the platform and you almost get the best price when you shop online. You also get the best selection in many ways. It's an endless aisle, so you don't have the challenge of having to store inventory across multiple locations in stores. The one question which has always been there is, how can you deliver a great experience? And in order to deliver that great experience online, the only way to do it is to eliminate those points of interruption or friction that Vivek was talking about and make it easy for customers to buy so you really have to really look at it uh, from a frictionless e-commerce perspective and in order to do that you actually have to walk in the shoes of the customer and it's as simple as a b c d e that you have to kind of follow this path of a customer of what do you do when the customer is in the awareness stage how do you kind of help the customer uh, eliminate friction in the browse stage of his journey what do you do when the customer is considering various options and then making a decision on what to buy and then evaluating uh, some of these options. So what are some of the friction points? I think one of the biggest challenges that we always have is that there are too many choices. That's a big point of friction. Uh, choice is good, uh, but too much choice is bad. The second thing you have when you look at things online is that you can't see the product. You know, we all love to touch, feel the product and see the product before we buy, but you have to kind of solve for this when you are kind of selling things online. And the third thing is that, you know, sometimes the recommendations are not uh, timely. They're irritants in many ways and they're interruptions. And so you have to kind of eliminate uh, that part of the experience and make it interesting for the shopper. So just bringing this example home to a category, which, <clears throat> which I kind of deal with almost every day, which is buying laptops. If you search for laptops today, you'll get a flurry of options that come on your screen. It almost makes it impossible for you to choose. One consumer in a focus group actually told me buying a PC is more complicated than buying a car. You know, It's, it's as complex as that. So how do you solve this problem? And in, in my mind, it it's all about using technology to make it useful uh, for customers. So today with the power of AI, you can actually ask customers very simple, easy to answer questions and you can train the machine learning models to learn based on customer behavior, to make sure that we are able to offer consumer choices based on the responses that they provide. It's quite similar to what would happen within the store. The only advantage here is that you're doing it at scale and you can do it with tremendous amount of consistency and machines in today's uh, day and age learn faster than humans uh, in, in, in many ways and therefore using the power of conversational AI And giving this intuitive experience to customers to helping them choose this PC which is best suited to their needs is one way to solve that issue of choice paralysis, which is very real. The second challenge that we have is how do you solve for customers who can't see the product before you buy? And one of the advances that we see today with uh, mobile is the power of augmented reality. Today, all phones come equipped with the power of AR. And so you can actually see the physical product almost within your homes. And it, it's a near physical experience. You can actually see your furniture. In this case, I'm talking about an Xbox console. And you can actually see the full product and you can really get a very immersive story of all the features of the product, including all the ports. And you know, this is how you could actually captivate Uh, the interest of the shopper and get them to get that near physical experience within the four walls of the home. The other interesting thing to look at is also what do you do if shoppers cannot go to the store? And this is where, you know, necessity became uh, the mother of invention or innovation uh, in many ways. If, if people cannot come to the store, you bring the store to their homes and we all use video calls and, you know, the ability to communicate between us as friends But you could actually take the same concept and extend it to a store environment where you could have a retail associate talk to you while you're shopping right at that moment to you uh, and have that one-on-one consultation to not only help you find the best PC, which is best suited to your needs, but also help you complete the transaction uh, and get the buying purchase done. So it's almost bringing that in real life situation which you have to a URL experience which you have online and making that uh, real physical experience come to life. Finally, I think there is another area, which I think this is a moment which all of us have experienced, you know, that you're in the middle of the journey, but you get a very irrelevant offer, something which you're not even, you know, interested in. And what this does is actually suppresses the buying emotion of the customer. And so it's really critical for us to make sure that when we are introducing recommendations or completing. Uh, In this case, the purchase of an Xbox console uh, with a game uh, so that you can actually enjoy the full power of the console, it has to be done at the right moment uh, in the customer journey. And the right moment here is when you're adding the products to the cart. It's that moment in the journey that you really need to talk about the game that needs to be added to the console and not before you actually bought the console. So it's it's critical and also be intelligent about what is the complementary product that you can provide and use the power of AI to really understand what are the recommendations that could be provided to the shopper. So all this put together fundamentally is also transforming marketing. So if you look at the world of marketing we used to live in earlier, it is to be a broadcast mode where you used to kind of you know use conventional uh, methods of marketing. Whereas marketing now has evolved into a more network funnel approach where it's totally driven by consumers and consumers are really at the heart of marketing. They are the network and they fuel this entire flywheel in many ways. And in many ways, this flywheel is also not linear. As we see it, it's a a constant flywheel uh, which happens, uh, which drives the entire engine. So with that, I'd like to leave some thoughts about the future. And one of my favorite authors is Arundhati Roy. And, you know, uh, Arundhati Roy in her book recently said the pandemic is a portal. And the portal is a beautiful metaphor. In many ways, it's a gateway. It takes you from one world to another. And we all have a choice, you know, in terms of, you know, taking all the baggage of the past, uh, or we can kind of really look at uh, reimagining the future, And for all of us, I think, you know, I I think all of us have gone through the entire phase of the pandemic. We've gone through a phase where we have responded. Uh, Some of us have recovered very well. But one thing is for sure that we all need to acknowledge that business will not be as usual. Uh, There are a few things which we want to carry into the future. uh, But fundamentally, we all need to reimagine uh, what uh, the business would be, what the customer journey would be and how we would align ourselves to the future of the shopper. Before I kind of sign off, uh, I want to kind of summarize the key takeaways. We saw that customer behaviors are constantly changing. In, and we have seen in the pandemic, uh, two out of three shoppers have really embraced a new way of buying. And have been forced to do that. And almost 60% of them are going to continue with that uh, mode of buying based on the insights that we have. So in order to meet Uh, this changing shopper need. It's important that we meet the customers where they are in the journey and deliver that frictionless experience. And together, along with our partners, we really need to reimagine that connected customer experience, which is really going to make a difference. Before I kind of sign off, uh, 2020, as you all know, was a wild year. And one of my wildest dreams uh, was to become an author. Funnily enough, Uh, I got a chance to uh, be a part of this book, uh, which is called Leading Through the Pandemic. It's just been released uh, on Amazon. Uh, So if you are uh, interested, please feel free. Uh, You can scan the QR code. It will give you a link uh, to amazon.com. Otherwise, I will put the link in the chat as well. And uh, I really look forward to staying connected with all of you. And I do want to kind of wish all of you a great 2021, let's reimagine and let's make this the best year ever. Thank you very much. Vivek, over to you.
2: Thank you so much, Ram. Thank you. So, uh, that sort of uh, brings me to the last chart, which is uh, in conclusion, I would like to say that we spoke about innovation. Uh, we saw the NASA example. We saw the Tata T example. Uh, and uh, the fact is that consumers can be your biggest source of ideas. Involve them as much as you can in the development and design process. Open innovation and rapid Experimentation is increasingly critical today to compete. And uh, in the future, as we move forward, it will be the questions that companies ask, not the solutions that they provide, which will determine success. So it's not only the questions that you ask, but how you ask those questions. On communication and engagement, we saw multiple examples Uh, we saw how uh, the consumer today is uh, very different and much more oriented towards pull. And the fact is that if you are in, in irritating intrusion, you will get skipped. And if you want to powerfully engage with customers, then you need to look at creating stories. You need to look at communicating stories Whether, and we saw several examples of that. Moment based marketing is a powerful new tool because it combines insight with digital tracking and uh, actually addresses the customer at the most relevant moment. Omnichannel marketing, which Ram just spoke about, the customer purchase journey is today increasingly complex. They're going back and forth between multiple digital and physical channels. In the last one year it has been less about physical but more about digital but we'll come back to a combination of digital and uh, physical and reducing friction at each stage becomes critical to avoid abandonment and accelerate conversion. That's really it from us. Thank you. Uh,
1: well, uh, that was a fascinating uh, uh, time i i, I didn't wa- even look at my watch uh and vivek you talked about m- movement based marketing and digital tracking actually movement based marketing uh you know i when i saw the red roof in i suddenly remembered that uh, some 25 years ago when i was uh, flying from uh, chicago to grand rapids michigan my delta air flight uh, Went around, uh, I mean, it took off from Chicago. It went around three times. Uh, you know, it couldn't, because of very heavy winds, it couldn't land in Grand Rapids.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Dropped me back in uh, Chicago at 12 o'clock midnight. And uh, the airline put us in Red Roof Wheel. You know, they, they they were still doing moment, moment-based marketing, but in those days, they were not digitally tracking us, but uh, they were tracking us through the airline. So, uh, you know, you used the word saying movement-based marketing is new. No, movement-based marketing has been around, that it is digitally, you are digitally tracked, is new. Okay. Yeah.
2: So Also, uh, Mr. Balraban, airlines, uh, since they are all on a budget, are now not providing rooms anymore.
1: No, no, I paid for it. They only put me there. Ah, you paid for it. Okay. They only put me there. And they argued that it is because of the weather, you know, it is, uh, yeah, under airline rules, they are not born. Anyway, uh, Ex- exceedingly interesting uh, session. We will uh, quickly open up to Q&A and Dan. finally I will make my closing remarks. Uh, group captain, uh, are you ready with the questions? Yes, sir.
0: Uh, thank you, Mr. Balraman. As you said, a fascinating evening. May, may I ready to close the screen so that uh, uh, we will be able to... Uh, Mr. Vivek, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, sir. Uh, we have... Uh, I'm really glad to share with you, we have over 1,350 viewers watching this program live. On our, all our social media portals, live, MMA, webcast, YouTube, Facebook, uh, Twitter, and also our own radio and uh, Zoom. and Which country is Vijay? Sir, country-wise, i not take the feedback. I'll give it to you in short while no. someone knows. I take the total feedback. Uh, it's from all over the world and uh, more so from India. So, I'll get back to you on that. We have got a number of questions uh, from uh, various uh, channels of uh, social media portals. Let me take the first one. What has come from... Uh, uh, the? the chat box. And I also request the viewers, if you have any question, please uh, put your question in the chat box. Uh, the speaker, the regulator to respond to your question. Here's a question for Mr. Krishna. Uh, is uh, any examples on how do you influence a customer to ask for a product in B2B business where the selling cycle is through another business or OEM, but the end customer has an important role to play, but you do not sell to him directly. So your views, please. Any one of you can take this question, Mr. Krishna is from uh, a senior director of marketing from Danfoss. Yeah, at at a
2: at a broad level, I would say uh, uh, Cisco uh, in the US is a classic example of a person uh, who's actually taken on their customers' metrics as their own metrics. So Cisco is in the food uh, production, is in the food supply business, supplying to uh, restaurants and so on and so forth, at some stage uh, they have actually taken over the entire inventory management for their customers. So the whole idea is that uh, uh, depending on how much uh, how much involvement you show and how much commitment to solving the intermediaries problem, the more you can become involved in their business, uh, the closer you can move to their customer needs, the more that you can understand their needs, uh, the better the chances of your relationship with them being really strong. Ram, anything to uh, add to that uh, since you do a lot of that stuff?
4: Yeah, no, that's a great question actually, uh, Mr. Krishna, great uh... Microsoft, uh, actually, you know, our success is totally dependent on our partner's success. You know, all our selling that we do is through uh, partners. And therefore, I would say the most important thing here is to really get obsessed about the end consumer, because at the end of the day, we can keep saying it's B2B marketing, B2C marketing. But the at the end, it's all human, right? At the end of the day, it's people who are buying products who are using products. So I think really getting focused on the end customer and the use case of the end customer is really important. The second piece I would say is that you know we always try to sell technology or solutions, but you always wanna be making sure that you are making that technology or the solution, the partner's IP. In many ways, you're not you know, enforcing your solutions on partners. You're actually solving a problem which helps the consumer and the end customer solve a problem. So it's really important that you put have that customer-centric approach uh, to the sales cycle and not just look at you know, just moving product uh, and making that happen because that will really not uh, enable you in terms of sustainable success uh, in the future.
0: Thank you so much, sir. Uh, here's a question from uh, from Deshpande from Mumbai uh, to YouTube. You want to how do you to out deal with the competitive landscape when consumer spending habits are fundamentally altered every time? So how do you decide on this? Wait. Uh, yeah. So.
2: Uh, Let me me try to uh, interpret uh, that question. Uh, So consumer habits uh, do keep changing. Uh, In general, they change in a slow manner over a period of time. Uh, Specific industries at different stages may get affected more. For example, in the last uh, one year, there has been very limited purchase of autos. Uh, sometimes you've just got to ride out that cycle because it's an economic cycle, which is outside your control. Sometimes, uh, sometimes you actually use that period of a slump in demand uh, to come out of the whole thing stronger, because that also gives you an opportunity and a window to improve your own uh, operations. If uh, demand uh If over a period of time you observe that demand uh, is changing and shifting, then you need to understand, I guess, the underlying reasons. And then uh, you need to follow the customer. I mean, essentially, at the end of the day, you've got to put the customer at the center. Sushant, any views? Uh...
3: No, I think you covered it. I think the only other thing is, you know, changing landscape. One of the things, if you want to be ahead of the curve, is actually to be listening to the consumer uh, more than the competition in many cases and uh, in some ways try to anticipate while obviously there are macro conditions like let's say now where things change suddenly and you are not in control. But sometimes if you are you listening to the consumer closely, you will find the issues that are copping up and the reasons uh, you can foresee, the reasons as to why demand could be slumping in the future and you could start correcting for that. So I think it's also important to be proactive and uh, keep consumer at the center. Thank
0: you, thank you, sir.
3: Here's a question from uh, Mr.
0: Vistanath uh, through Web Portal. Uh, he says, when you think about companies that are customer centric or even customer obsessed, which one come to mind? Amazon, Zapp, the Reed, Carlton, Four Seasons, Southwest Airlines, many more. How did they get there, and what did they do differently to ensure? they always delivered great experience for the customers. You shared them quite a bit in your presentation. Maybe you would like to add some more, sir. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this, is, this, this one is really
2: uh, talking about experience. And uh, for experience, uh, uh, one, of, one of the things is <laughs> the people who actually deliver the experience. For example, let's take Four Seasons. Uh, the people who actually deliver the experience are not the CEO, the general manager, and so on and so forth. It's the guy who comes to your table and serves you. It's the cashier who checks you out. It's the person who checks you in. Now, the question is that these are also the people who are youngest in the organization. They are the lowest paid in the organization. So how do you motivate them? And motivating them has two or three aspects. The first is cultural. And culture comes from the top. And uh, uh, there is uh, actually a very interesting piece that uh, somebody has done on Four Seasons and how Four Seasons actually empowers uh, their frontline so that instead of asking them tough questions, what they're doing is constantly encouraging them and asking them what they need to do their work better. So that is a cultural factor. What are the questions you're asking your front line? The second factor is, how are you incentivizing your people? Uh, are you incentivizing them on the right kind of metrics, the right kind of behaviors? Uh, so it's a question of culture. It's a question of identifying the right metrics. And it's a question of creating the right kind of incentives. Uh, if you want to do it over a period of time. And also measurement from the customer's point of view. So various tools are available. Uh, There is NPS, but even more powerful than that, and this is Ram's favorite, is transactional NPS. And transactional NPS actually measures uh, how each interaction happens between the frontline and the customer. And in a sense can be a really powerful tool for creating peer pressure uh, for performance. So it becomes a team activity for providing superior
0: service. So we've got number of uh, questions more. Maybe I'll take two last questions, uh, excuse in the next uh, two, three minutes, what's available, sir. Uh, here is a question again from the YouTube viewer, uh, Ganeshan. he wants to know, how do brands promote a product or service in the midst of COVID-19 crisis uh, in a way that resonates with the consumers? What can my company and my brand do to add value to customers' lives during this time? You also talked about push and pull. Something relevant to this. uh, How do the companies manage?
2: It's actually a very good question. I think uh, uh, Ram has been working quite closely on this. I get Sushant as well. Uh, Any of you guys would like to go? Ram?
4: Yeah, I can take a go at it. I think the most important thing at COVID that we have seen is that Uh, you really need um, to have empathy uh, for the consumer context in which they're operating in, right? So uh, I'll give you a real example. We had a campaign for one of our products, Microsoft 365, and it had people hiking and going on a hike and the entire campaign was all about outdoors. And we had to overnight uh, change that campaign to make it much more contextual. Uh, to tell the story of a family getting together. So it's really important that you have that empathy to really understand what state of mind is the consumer in because you want to make that communication uh, very relatable uh, and connected to the the consumer in that context. So I would say that is one of the core principles that we have really uh, taken at this point in time in terms of making sure that the communication is emotionally connecting Uh, to the customer as much as we are communicating the rational benefits of the product. Sushant?
3: Yeah, I I agree. I think empathy is uh, the most critical uh, in terms of this uh, during these times. That's the learning that even we had. Uh, The other thing is not to take advantage of the situation. You know, you could have uh, certain product categories. Uh, I I think uh, that's a complete no-no. You can actually put the consumer completely off if they feel that you are trying to take advantage of the situation. That's the last thing that they want. Uh, I'll give you an example, again, a live example. One of the uh, long-standing campaigns that we have uh, is a Jagore campaign, which some of you might have seen. uh, And the Jagore campaign is about a social cause. So, you know, the initial reaction of the marketing team was, there's a great opportunity and we we should be doing something on uh, Jagore because of the COVID. But one of the things we realized is that unless there is something that you can actually do, which is, Uh, which makes a difference to the consumer and actually adds value and not just do a campaign because it's COVID and take uh, uh, advantage of it. It's not worth doing. So we didn't do it immediately. We waited for some time. We figured out as to what could make a difference to the consumer. And then we actually ran a whole campaign because we realized that at least in the Indian context, one of the big big issues is actually with the elderly. Uh, A, you know, while many people went online and started getting stuff, uh, for the elderly, who were also the most vulnerable in some ways, for them, even in terms of figuring out the new way of shopping and stuff like that, or even getting the medicines uh, essentials was an issue, and uh, we hence ran a whole campaign and also worked with HelpH India to see as to how we can make a difference to elders and Once you do that and once you show empathy and uh, you are not just being seen as taking advantage, I think that works very well yeah one just, uh, one. One yeah, example, uh,
2: one uh, great example in this is that Airbnb has That's actually right. used this period to strengthen themselves and strengthen their bond, both with the renters as well as their customers. For example, any bookings made prior to March, full refunds were given, no questions asked, right to customers. Now, obviously, this put a lot of pressure on uh, the actual people who were renting. And Airbnb actually set aside $250 million to support those households. So they obviously, in a crisis, where their business is virtually collapsed, they take $250 million out. And you can imagine that when they come out of COVID, uh, the kind of relationships that they have would, have, would be so much stronger. And the
0: goodwill that they have built would be huge. True, sir. I think airlines were totally contrary to what uh, Airbnb did. One last question for the evening, sir. He is uh, from an MBA student uh, through the webinar. He, is, he what do you want to know? Many companies have a different practice in place for Defining and delivering data consumer experiences like voice of the consumer programs, co-creation, journey mapping, etc. But the question is: do they really make a difference? Is this impacting the loyalty of your customer? And does this make you stand out from your competitors? Do they truly being an outside approach and make staff members think and act differently? Because you have to bring your people also in sync with what you are trying to do. It from bringing outsiders to decide on what you want to do on your future. You really discussed this in uh, detail. In your presentation maybe you would like to add uh, something more to this. Yeah, I think uh,
2: I think I was right in the middle of this uh, for uh, uh, for three years. In uh, when was it? I think it was around uh, two thousand and fourteen. That uh, Vittorio Colao who was uh, the CEO of Vodafone, decided that he wanted to become number one in NPS in all markets. The NPS is Net Promoter Score. Uh, at that stage, uh, I think we were number one in an 11 out of 23 markets. By the time the project ended, uh, two or three years later, uh, we had moved that number of 11 up to around 17, 18 uh, which was through a structured program in terms of identifying what is it that the customer really values then breaking down, that down into segments and as the and i think it's a very good question then saying that how do i form teams how do i proliferate that and it's an entire uh, i have a whole deck on execution uh, and how do you execute uh, service across the organization. Uh, It is complex, but if you do it well, uh, you can have success. It is defining metrics at different levels, digging deeper and deeper into asking what, how, asking the how question again and again, till you find the solution. So both vertically as well as horizontally, uh, how do you get an integrated approach? The larger
0: the organization, the more complex the execution. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Mr. Vivek, Ram and Sushant uh, for so patiently responding to all the questions uh, from our participants. Uh, Now I uh, I request Mr. Balraman for his concluding remarks and uh, also on behalf of Mr. Balraman before handover, as a part of our appreciation, uh, taking time uh, off uh, this evening, we normally present uh, a memento to all the participants, all the speakers, uh, in token of your appreciation, we present a mask on your behalf to needy people. Though vaccine has been launched today in Chennai, but it's very really, uh, very, very small insignificant portion only has come. I think we need to continue this even after post-vaccine, that's what. So, we continue to do this and thank you so much uh, for accepting our uh, initiative to offer a mask on your behalf. Now, over to you, Mr. Balraman, uh, for your closing remarks. Mr. Balraman. Well, uh, what a
1: fascinating session. Uh, going back to uh, very many years to Tata Tea uh, and uh, coming all, all the way to Microsoft uh, today. Uh, if uh, I don't know what your response will be if I were to ask you what will become consumer centricity in the next two decades the next decade and the decade after if you are to look forward would it be consumer centricity or consumer dominant marketing or consumer driven marketing I do not know what you'll say, but uh, I'm looking forward to another session with you. And I I want to say, Sushant, that was a very intriguing example of Tata Tea and uh, made me want to have one (laughs) even as we are talking. Uh, You did an outstanding job, thank you. And uh, again, you you know, I I, I didn't imagine that uh, Vivek would uh, bring uh, Seattle. uh, 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 India and to uh, the region from Malaysia going all the way to uh, Middle East and uh, America, you know, Europe and Eastern most of the United States. But uh, again, thank, thank you Ram uh, for an outstanding job and uh, you you not only dreamed of the idea, you conceptualized the idea, you curated it so beautifully. Thank you. I look forward to listening to all of you on what will be consumer-dominant marketing and consumer-driven marketing looking forward, looking ahead for the next two
0: decades. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank thank you, you sir. Thank you. Thank you. you. And, uh, I just thank want you. to remind the viewers, uh, the next sponsor Veterans event is on the 25th of uh, this month. Again, a very interesting event. Uh, the fitness habits of successful uh, CEOs. Uh, uh, the lead is being led by Professor Gautam Ahuja, University of uh, uh, Cornell University USA. We have two outstanding panelists and Nand Nandkishore former uh, vice president, uh, head of Asia, Africa, uh, Nestle, and uh, Lashvinarayan, Pandit, founder, chief executive of Pinnacle Leadership and Consulting. Please do join us. It's happening on 25th evening, same time, 6 o'clock, another uh, uh, weekend, uh, Saturday Night Fever. Uh, thank you so much, a large number of viewers. You are coming a big number. Though it's a long weekend, uh, but we had little hesitation, but Uh, Mr. Balraman said, go ahead. Our members are very, very loyal to the brand. uh, uh, Fragrance of business talk on every Saturday. And the result is 1,400 viewers are watching. And this is available on our website and our uh, thing for the next three years. So we continue to, uh, I think by the end of uh, six months, we have more than 20,000 people watch this program. The idea is to reach out to as many people as possible. Thanks, Mr. Ram, and uh, for joining us at 4.30 in the morning. It really shows how passionate you are to share your knowledge and wisdom with all the members. Thank you, Vivek, for facilitating a great evening. And uh, Shushan, uh, again, uh, as Mr. Balraman said, we are really keenly looking forward to having you over again at MMA. And we would like to host you uh, physically at the MMA building when you visit next time in Chennai. Thank you so much and uh, Stay safe, stay healthy. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye and good night. Good night. Thank you.
3: Thank you. Good night.